Hi, and welcome to The Climate Conversation. I'm Dan Brissett, Executive Director at the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. And I'm joined today, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Emma Johnson. Hi, Emma. How's it going? Hi, Dan. I'm happy to be back with you this week after our great uh, episode last time on the NAACP Equitable Solar Policy Principles. It was so cool to learn about those and to hear from Denise. But I'm really happy to be back with you today because we have another trip planned for this episode. This time we're going to the Southwest United States. Uh, Don't forget to pack your sunscreen. It's going to be really hot out there um, because specifically we'll be learning a lot about the Rio Grande and adaptation work that's being done in that area. Ah, yes, the arid west. Before we get into that, though, let me start by introducing what we mean when we say adaptation and why it's so important. Yes, please do. Many of the effects of climate change, such as stronger storms, longer droughts, rising sea levels, are already affecting people and ecosystems around the world. And they're going to continue to affect people and ecosystems around the world in the future. Communities will have to plan for how they're going to adapt to these harmful climate impacts. Some examples of climate adaptation include managed retreat of homes from a coastline, planting trees in cities to reduce the urban heat island, shifting crop growing patterns to correspond with changing weather, and then there's nature-based adaptation solutions like installing a living shoreline. These are especially important because they both protect communities nearby and strengthen the resilience of their overall ecosystem. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Climate adaptation is really going to be so critical for communities as they plan and prepare uh, for climate change in the coming years. And one federal program that is really focused on climate adaptation is the U.S. Department of Agriculture Climate Hubs. And the mission of these hubs is to develop and communicate science-based, region-specific information to agricultural and natural resource managers so that they can make climate-informed decisions. So we're really talking about work that's happening on the ground to help people who need it uh, make plans for the future to prepare for climate change. The hubs also provide technology and assistance to implement uh, adaptation decisions. There are 10 climate hubs around the U.S. spanning from the Caribbean to the Pacific Northwest. And that region-specific part is really critical. And for listeners who have been familiar with the ESI for a while, you might remember that we did our Coastal Resilience Briefing Series, where we went region by region, coastal region by region around the country. And what we found is um, there are lots of commonalities, but there's also lots of um, things that make a region different, not just uh, in terms of the challenges it faced, but also the solutions that apply um, and the solutions that are available to it. So that region specific part is something that we really get at ESI. And that's why today's episode is so cool, because we're going to be talking about the work that these hubs do in these different locations. And that allows each hub to tailor their work to the issues of concern for the farmers and managers in that area. Sometimes that's providing drought assessments for farmers in California. Sometimes that's studying soil health in the Northeast. The hubs make sure that they're engaging with the people in their region and then supplying them with the most useful data and tools. To get more background on the climate hubs and the work they do, let's hear from Dr. Julian Reyes, the National Climate Hubs Coordinator. In February 2014, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced the launch of regional hubs for risk adaptation and mitigation to climate change. Uh, The climate hubs support USDA program agencies and partners by providing a regional focus on working lands within the rapidly evolving field of climate science, adaptation, and mitigation. 
The Climate Hubs provide expertise in forestry, agriculture, climate services, carbon dynamics, ecology, and science communication to address the effects of climate change. The Climate Hubs work with a diverse network of partners to support science-based decision-making and facilitate communication with partners about climate-related risks and vulnerabilities. The Climate Hubs achieve their mission through three major work streams. The first is science and data synthesis. The second is technology and tool development. And the third is outreach, convening, and training. The Climate Hubs assess and synthesize climate risks and vulnerabilities based on regional needs and input. Assessments have covered critical topics, including drought vulnerability, forest and crop resilience, and threats from pests and disease. The Hubs have worked on the development of over 25 climate-based tools, uh, tools and technologies for agriculture and forest management are rapidly evolving as is the knowledge about climate change and the approaches to climate change mitigation and adaptation. The hubs engage in tool development and curation to address regional partner needs, supporting existing USDA and partner tools and capacities and reduce obstacles to implementing best practices. Uh, the hubs also provide coordinated technical support and adaptation planning to supplement USDA agriculture and land management program delivery. In our third work stream, a major role for the hubs is developing and communicating science-based information with a diverse set of partners. This theme covers a broad range of activities, from fact sheets and trainings to podcasts and media interviews. From these work streams, you can see that the Climate Hub stakeholders are diverse and many. They include our internal stakeholders and partners, USDA research program agencies, including the Agricultural Research Service, Forest Service, NRCS, and more. They also include our external partners, such as other federal agencies and our climate coordination networks, but also universities, extension, states, tribes, local governments, NGOs, international organizations, and other natural resource managers and service providers. Last but not least, the Climate Hubs serve farmers, ranchers, and forest managers, and the people and communities who depend on them. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has recently put adaptation front and center in its work. Just in October, USDA released its Climate Adaptation and Resilience Plan, which describes how the agency will prepare for the current and future impacts of climate change. The plan lays out current climate vulnerabilities related to USDA's work, and it describes the actions needed to address those. Some of these actions include upgrading facilities to make them more energy efficient, installing more microgrids for energy resilience, and making climate data and education more accessible. The climate hubs are and will continue to definitely be a critical part of the USDA's adaptation work. In conjunction with this new plan that you just mentioned, Dan, the climate hubs have also launched a campaign called hashtag adaptation in action, and which showcases the different types of adaptation project the hubs are working on with stakeholders all across the country. So let's turn it back to Julian to learn more about this campaign and some other ongoing climate hubs adaptation projects. The adaptation plan is aligned with a renewed and broad effort across USDA to prioritize climate action and increase resilience to climate impacts among American producers, landowners, and communities. Specifically, the adaptation plan is part of USDA's response to Executive Order 14008, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad, which tasked all federal agencies with preparing action plans for integrating climate adaptation into their missions, programs, operations, and management. The USDA's adaptation plan identifies key climate threats to agriculture and forestry and outlines five cross-cutting adaptation actions USDA can take, including leveraging the USDA climate hubs as a framework to support USDA mission areas in delivering adaptation science, technology, and tools. 
The hubs advance climate adaptation, science, tools, and technology by connecting, coordinating, collaborating, and co-producing important climate information and resources to support climate smart practices. In our first example, the Northern Institute of Applied Climate Science and the Northern Forest Climate Hub have led the development of adaptation strategies and approaches for a variety of natural resource topics which can be used with the adaptation workbook. These venues provide a curated list of adaptation actions to help you move from broad ideas to specific actions. The Northern Forest Hub also created an interactive web-based version of the adaptation workbook that is integrated with vulnerability assessments and published adaptation strategies menus. The Southeast Climate Hub is working with federal, state, and local public and private groups to better understand the current and projected rate and extent of saltwater intrusion, monitor salinity levels and impacts on crops and forests, and inform producers about adaptation options to improve resilience to saltwater intrusion and soil salinization. Information learned during and after the workshop was used to develop the report on identification, mitigation, and adaptation to salinization on working lands in the U.S. Southeast, a soil salinization mitigation and adaptation manual for farm and forest management. The manual will allow land managers to identify the stage, cause, and likely progression of salinization on their land, mitigation options if possible, and if not, adaptation strategies that are available. To enhance resilience to climate change and support productivity on working lands, the climate hubs will continue to carry out their work using the three-pronged approach I mentioned through science and data synthesis, technology and tool co-development and support, and outreach convening and training. Underpinning and woven throughout the hub's work are the cross-cutting themes of equity and environmental justice. By integrating environmental justice and equity concerns across our three working streams and strategic goals, the USDA climate hubs can support historic, historically marginalized, overburdened, and under-resourced communities. The climate hubs must ensure that environmental and economic justice are key considerations in order to address the disproportionately high and adverse human health environmental and climate-related impacts on disadvantaged communities. It's great to have the hubs as knowledge and resource centers, don't you think, Dan? Totally, absolutely. And Julian set us up for why this adaptation work is so critical on a national level. Now, let's actually head to the Rio Grande Basin and learn how adaptation planning happens on the ground. Our guest today is Dr. Emily Elias, the director of the Southwest Climate Hub. Emily is a research hydrologist who studies land use and climate change impacts on hydrology, water quality, and agricultural communities in the U.S. Southwest. Welcome, Emily. Could you start off by telling us what issues you focus on at the Southwest Climate Hub and some of the projects that you all are working on right now? Absolutely. I'm really happy to be here. So the Southwest Climate Hub is one of 10 hubs across the nation. And we cover New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah, so the hottest and driest region of the country. But we also cover Hawaii and the U.S.-affiliated Pacific Islands. So there's a huge range of weather and climate challenges that we face, from water scarcity to drought to wildfire and flooding and sea level rise. All of the hubs work in three functional areas or thematic areas. All the hubs are led by research scientists and we do research and science synthesis. Our second functional area is tool development and technology transfer. And then we also do outreach and education, which is usually convening scientists and stakeholders to further climate adaptation and mitigation. So you asked about some of the projects we're working on right now. I'll give you three quick examples of some of the things we're doing. 
Uh, one of those projects that I'm really excited about is the Southwest Drought Learning Network. Um, this project evolved in 2018. There was, you might recall, a really severe drought that hovered over the Colorado Plateau, which is the Four Corners area, for almost all of 2018. And during that time, the Southwest Climate Hub, along with a few other drought organizations, noticed a lot of really detrimental impacts from wildfires to um, water scarcity to livestock abandonment to um, just all of those things you hear around uh, those extreme drought conditions. And we realized that the resource managers really needed a network to learn both from climate service providers like myself, but also from each other about what was working. And so this network has really grown a lot since it evolved in 2018. And now it has five different teams working on different pieces of drought information and drought response. And so one of those teams is a sharing management practices team, which highlights what's been successful and what's worked well and a whole range of things related to climate change. So that's one project I'm really excited about and it's fun to see it grow. Another project I wanted to mention is more of a research project and that's called the Sustainable Southwest Beef Project. And in that project, researchers investigate Criollo cattle, which are cattle from Copper Canyon in Mexico that are thought to be lighter on the land and, and better adapted to a warming environment. Also, they investigate precision technology or precision ranching. So if cattle have collars on them, would ranchers have to drive less to look for them? Or if you have uh, water level sensors in your water troughs, will that uh, decrease the environmental footprint? And then the third part of that project is looking at supply chains. And then the third thing I wanted to mention is one of our projects is around education of K through 12 students. We've been working with a small group nonprofit called the Asombro Institute for Science Education. And that institute has helped us develop modules that are tied to the Common Core Science Standards that um, are, are used to look at climate change in agriculture, climate change in the water cycle, climate change in carbon, other things like that. So those are a few things that we're working on right now in the Southwest. We're talking to you today about the Rio Grande because of some recent adaptation work the Southwest Hub has done there. You've already mentioned severe drought. What other climate threats are affecting the Rio Grande and why are these adaptation projects gonna be so important to help address those threats? Thanks, Dan. Um, the Rio Grande is, of course, already water limited. For most of the year, most of the river is dry. So the Rio Grande is a snow-fed system, and it's about three-quarters of the flow in the upper Rio Grande originates from mountain snowpack. So this snowpack is a natural reservoir, and it stores water until um, snowmelt runoff occurs in the spring. So I'm a hydrologic modeler by training, and one of my past research projects was to model future temperature and precipitation effects on snowmelt runoff in the Rio Grande. And what we found and what we anticipate is, of course, less snow, earlier runoff, higher peak runoff, and, and less flow during the summer. And a lot of those changes are already being observed in the measured record. So it's not just modeling anymore. We're seeing earlier peak runoff. 
we're seeing more precipitation falling as rain instead of snow. And so we don't have that high mountain reservoir of snowpack to rely on. And this, of course, has implications for a whole host of things, water management, riparian vegetation, water compacts that we relied on in the past that might not fit this new hydrologic regime and upstream communities. And this is a really complicated water allocation system out in the West. And these physical changes interact with our social systems and they can lead to friction and some angst and some concern, especially on the part of agricultural producers. It's also an opportunity for them sometimes as they sell or lease their water rights to cities. So I think the future is going to need a lot more in terms of creative solutions. We'll need a lot more creative solutions. And the good news is that we already have both ancient and new solutions on hand to help out with this water shortage and water scarcity. As Dan mentioned, the Southwest Hub has been doing a lot of adaptation work recently. You know, one of the things that you all have been doing with the Northern Forest Hub is a set of online adaptation planning courses for the Rio Grande Basin that you recently finished. Uh, What was the purpose of those classes and who were they designed for? Great, thanks. Um, So the Southwest Hub worked really closely with the Bureau of Reclamation in the Upper Rio Grande. And that area, the Upper Rio Grande, was selected to be part of a basin study, which is a study that Reclamation does. And they're collaborative studies. They're with federal and non-federal partners. And they're really to evaluate water supply and demand and help ensure reliable water supplies by identifying strategies to address imbalances in water supply and demand. Because agriculture is a really important historic water user in the upper Rio Grande, the leaders of the study wanted to understand more about potential water management tactics or options that irrigators would be interested in using. So we worked with Reclamation and the leaders there to apply an adaptation workbook process. And this is where the Northern uh, Forest Climate Hub comes into play. Um, They developed this adaptation workbook process to work with foresters actually in the North, and we applied it to irrigators in the Southwest. And so it's a process to work with a group of people through understanding climate change impacts. So you start by defining goals and objectives for a particular land area or for a particular group of people. Then assess climate impacts and vulnerabilities. So you really look at what's likely to happen in the future. And then the third step is to evaluate objectives when you know what those climate impacts will be. Do they make sense? And the fourth step is to use a menu of adaptation approaches or tactics and decide from that menu what would be most appropriate in that location and then implement those and finally monitor the effectiveness of those implemented actions. So that was the process that we worked through a group of irrigators in the Rio Grande with, and um, it really helps them evaluate their options in the face of future changes. And in this case, of course, that future change we're looking at is water scarcity and increasing temperatures. That's so interesting. So what were some of the other outcomes of the course? What are the on the ground changes that might come about and sort of the participants of the course, 
How are they better prepared than they were before for additional adaptation efforts that they might undertake? And so at the end of the course, it's an eight-week online course. And at the end of the course, um, groups of participants presented their adaptation project or their adaptation solution. And what I found really interesting about this course that may be different from other, other adaptation workbook activities that happened in the past is that there was a lot of discussion about building community. That was really the main theme that came out of this workshop. And so adaptation often focuses on the biophysical realm or in the past it has. And it seemed like some participants expanded on the workbook to include criteria for evaluating the long-term sustainability of their projects and thinking more about community engagement and justice and equity components. I feel like this is a shift we're seeing across our institutions, even as part of the National Climate Assessment, where we're thinking a lot more about people and communities in alignment with the biophysical changes. A lot of the participants want to continue meeting as a group um, to continue these discussions and to build capacity through continued partnership. So I think that's something that could um, continue on after the end of this course. And they're looking to grow a community of practice around climate adaptation and social change. It's so exciting to hear about building community through an online course like this and to hear about what can happen when you are bringing your group together who's really passionate about adaptation and uh, implementing these projects. Uh, Can you talk about other adaptation projects that the Southwest Hub is excited to pursue in the future? Absolutely. Well, we now have this team of adaptation specialists, and so they will continue to work with groups of people. They may be irrigators in the upper Rio Grande or foresters on a national forest, but we'll be expanding this workbook and the adaptation menus of tactics that people use to account for social vulnerabilities and strategies to accommodate them as well. So, that's one of the main things I see we'll be doing in the future is more of more courses like the one I just mentioned. We're also launching a new project, which I'm really excited about. It's called Enhancing Water Adaptation in the Arid West. And that's where we really look for examples of successful water adaptation techniques. That could be anything from shortage sharing during drought, water transactions, water banks, groundwater recharge efforts. So there's a whole cadre of things that people are doing that are working. And we're going to catalog those and then share them in a geospatial framework. And so I'm really excited about that project. We're also evaluating um, the economic impacts of those. So we'll be bringing um, two postdocs on board to help work on that project. We also will continue to build tools to find tools. One thing that we've noticed is that often there are many resources available, but people aren't able to find the right resource to answer the question that they have. And so we've created in the past some tools to find tools, and we'll be launching one around forest management. So we're collecting and sharing um, information about pre and post wildfire management and forest restoration and other management activities. And then finally, the fourth thing is that we're research scientists. So we'll continue to collect and synthesize research and publish it in vulnerability assessments 
in special issues of journals and in the national climate assessments and other projects. Well, thank you, Emily. This has been great. And um, Emma and I will certainly be keeping a watch for these additional resources. Um, We're big fans of USDA's work and the climate hubs in general. And it's been really fascinating to hear about all of the great stuff that you're doing with the Southwest Hub in the Rio Grande Basin. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Emma. It was really delightful to meet you and be here. Thanks so much, Emily. Well, big thanks to Julian and Emily for joining us today on the episode talking about USDA's climate hubs, um, climate adaptation, resilience. It's a big part of what we do at ESI, um, whether it was in the lead up to COP26 over in Glasgow, looking at adaptation work um, that was being discussed there, or the regional coastal series that we talked about earlier. Um, climate change is with us. Pretty much, no matter how quickly we uh, reduce emissions, we could reduce emissions to zero tomorrow. There's still enough climate change baked into the atmosphere that we're going to have to adapt to it. Um, and really, the only way that we're going to be able to do that, of course, is by coming up with region-specific or community-specific solutions that also provide um, really an unprecedented amount of opportunity for members of those communities to be participants, not just um, in the implementation, but also the decision-making and the prioritization and everything that goes along into those decisions. So really happy to have heard from Julian and Emily about this really cool stuff. Big fans of Climate Hubs here at EESI. Yeah, and this episode and talking with Julian and Emily is also uh, made me really think about how uh, even if there's a federal program that's working on climate adaptation, it's all really about working with communities to make sure that they're as prepared as they can be for addressing climate change. So, so interesting to hear from Emily, especially about the adaptation course that they just ran, where they were really trying to bring adaptation tools and oh, this workbook to irrigation managers and people in the Rio Grande. And if you like the story and want to learn more about EESI's work related to climate adaptation, you should head to our website at eesi.org. Also, follow us on social media at EESI online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.